0: Last week, we asked the question, what do you want in life? At the core of your very being, what do you want more than anything else? And we said that typically what people will say, almost everybody says this, is I just want to be happy, and I I want to know peace, and I don't want that just for myself, but I want that also for the people that I love. At our deepest and most desperate desire is that we want happiness and peace and satisfaction. And then what we saw is that in our pursuit for happiness and peace, what that really is is a pursuit for God. And if we arrive at anything other than God, we will be left wanting. And what what we said is that here is our problem we actually aren't hedonistic enough. We are settling for lesser pleasures than God. That at the core is our real problem. Or put another way, if you pray to God desperately for happiness and peace and you aren't getting it, it's because you're likely seeking it through God and not from God. Meaning you're going to God and you're praying, God, if I could just have this thing or if I could just have this thing or this person, then I'm gonna be happy and then I'm gonna be at peace. And it doesn't come because we're using God to get something other than God that we think will make us happy when all we've gotta do is arrive at God and set our pleasures upon him and then we will be satisfied. Asking God to give you happiness and peace apart from him, he cannot do that. Because there is no such thing. So God is your happiness. That was last week. So the question this week now is how do we find him? If he is our happiness, if he is our peace, if he is everything that we are longing for, then how do we actually find him so we can have happiness and peace and satisfaction? I mean, this is the real problem, right? If I said right now, go find God, what would you do? you look under a rock? Would you go upon the ocean and say, oh man, maybe I can find God out here. You say, oh God, just reveal yourself to me. Or maybe you just need some spiritual journey for like a year, but the problem with that is you've got family maybe, or you've got friends, or you've got a job. So how do you go do that? How do you give up on everything and just go for a year? Or is finding God like a spiritual scavenger hunt? And some people just get lucky and some people don't. Like when I was little, I was, I, I was on this Easter egg hunt and I cheated ahead of time and I found out where the golden egg was and I ran and I got there as fast as I could. I mean, is that how you find God? You just kind of get lucky and you show up early and maybe you find out where the golden egg is and that's God and you're like, you beat everybody else there. And so you're the one who finds God more than everybody else. Is that how it goes? Or what about the Bible? Well, that's the best place to go. But why then do some people read the Bible and say, Mm-mm, I don't believe this. And others read the Bible and they devote their life. even They even die to convince people that what is said in the Bible is true. And here's another part of the problem about finding God. See, there's this thinking that says, "Ah, uh, we can find God through our reason. You look at the great philosophers over time, and they are, they are thinking, they are reasoning their way to try to understand God and who he is. But here's the problem with that. That means only the intellectual elite can find God. And that means we are left trusting them that they have somehow understood God above us, But that means also that we will never really get to find God because we're just listening to the words of people who are far smarter than us. Or is it for the moral elite to find God? Now, here's the problem for me. I don't know about you guys, but as soon as somebody says to me, don't do something, in my heart, that's all I could think about is doing, is that very thing. I have this... Like, I have this disease that all other, other humans have. I have this propensity to mess everything up. Or, last one, do we find God through, like, some spiritual intensity, this deep spirituality? I don't know about you, but my prayers are very ADD. Like, I go out and I pray, and I'm praying, and then I look up in the sky, and I see a cloud that looks like a dolphin. And I say, oh, that cloud looks like a dolphin. And then I think about the ocean. And then I think, oh, I haven't been surfing in a while. I really want to go surfing. And then I think about all the reasons why I haven't been going surfing. And then I'm like, an hour later, oh yeah, God, I'm supposed to be spending time with you. See, how do we find God? We don't. He comes and unveils himself to us. That is the word. Our, our verses said this word twice. The word is revelation. And we see in a few, few verses to follow, it also has this word. So three times we see the word revelation. The word revelation, it's like discovery. It's like an unveiling. Unveiling is one of my favorite words because here's what it means. There's a curtain in front of the eyes of our heart. And what happens is God comes and he removes the veil. He unveils our hearts so our eyes can see God. it's pulled away. So that, today, there is a curtain between us and God, and today is about how God removes that curtain so we can see him. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at the unveiling of God through our verses. So here's where we go. We got three points. First one, the unveiling of God. Second, your guide to God. And then third, your mission with God. So the veil's being removed. You have a guide. We all have a guide. Who is our guide to God? That's the question. And then third, mission with God. So when we go and do what God has called us to do, God is with us, so again, he is unveiled to us. So, first one, here we go. The disciples have seen the risen Jesus twice now. And this is the third time that he reveals himself. Now look, notice this. They don't find him because they are pursuing him. He comes and finds them. All three times, that is what happens. He comes and he's pursuing them. Now, let me say this. If you are skeptical of the resurrection, it will never be true to you unless God unveils it to you. Now, we talk a lot about, I can give you this. We talk a lot about these things. Here's the proofs that you can rely on the resurrection. Here are the proofs that the resurrection really happened. We talk about that all the time. Keep coming if you want to hear all the proofs, all the reasons why you should believe in the resurrection. But the bottom line is, it will never be true to you until the veil is removed. So, how then does God make it true? Look here at the disciples. It's not because they're geniuses. It's not because they're uber spiritual. I mean, they're fishing, and Peter is in his skivvies. Like, he's in his, he's in his skivvies right now. So there's not some spiritual experience happening. Do you guys know what skivvies are? No? This is, a, this is underwear, okay? Why are you not laughing at this? I'm just picturing Vince now in his underwear fishing. Sorry for that, Vince. Um, <laughs> so, and it's not because there's mo- more elite because Peter has just denied Jesus three times. So, how does God unveil Himself? How does God show that Christianity is true to us? Here's how: through our failures. That is something that people miss all of the time about Christianity. It's, it's at its core, Jesus is revealing himself to us through our failures, not through our successes. The disciples fail at fishing all night long. They are failing and failing and failing. The morning comes, Jesus shows up and he says, turn around, do a 180. Turn around, change everything that you're doing and do it on the other side and then they catch the fish and then their eyes are open and they realize who it is. This is Jesus. Their failures is what revealed him to them. Now, don't make this mistake right now. The mistake that you could be making is you could be saying, okay, God reveals himself. Okay, so here's what I need to do. Okay, I'm failing at this. I have fallen to the ground. I've messed up, and I just got to pick myself back up again, and then I'm going to succeed. That's not what I'm talking about. That's wisdom, and God will give you wisdom, and he will do it through your failures. But what I'm talking about here, this is grace. This is you being so aware of your sin. It's cutting you, and you say, oh, wow. I need God to have mercy on me. As soon as you come to him, asking for this mercy the veil is removed and you find the God of grace. See, look, nobody meets the God of power and majesty and glory first, though he is all those things. When we meet God, we meet him as the God of grace. The whole premise of Christianity is that we are far more sinful than we realize, but God is so much more gracious than we ever dared hope for. We meet him because he has forgiven us. And then here's what happens. We encounter him through his grace. Because listen to what would happen if we encountered the glory of God, all of his majesty coming into his presence as we are right now, it would melt us to our core because the glory of God cannot be around sin. So it melts anything that is of sin around him. So then the question is, well, how in the world can God be unveiled to us? How can God be gracious to us and just at the same time? How can God say, there are things that are wrong and I've got to make them right and then be gracious at the same time? That's a great question. I'm glad you asked me that. Because on the cross, your sins, past, present, and future, were cast upon Christ, and he wore them on the cross. He was blanketed in our sin, in your sin, and then as he died, the penalty that was coming to you for your sin died as well. He dealt with it all, and then not only that, but he clothed you in all of his perfection, it's all given to you. Now you, he's clothed in your sin. You are clothed with his record. There's an exchange of record that happens, and then you walk into the presence of God, and he, you recognize him. You see him. He's your father, and you feel the embrace of a God who said, I love you, and I'm doing whatever it takes to come and get you. When that happens, when He takes your record and He gives you His, then you embrace God and you taste grace, and He is unveiled to you. Listen to this: Your failure is the manure that reveals God. You know, I mean, you know what manure is. Manure is a fertilizer. It helps things grow. And so what's happening is your sin, when you recognize it as sin and you turn to God for grace, that's actually fertilizer that causes you to run to God and discover his grace. And then he grows you more and more into who you're made to be. Oh, man. Your sin is the manure that leads you to God. So should you keep on sinning? No, the Bible says, no, this is gonna happen. You're gonna find God because you're gonna recognize your sin and you're gonna go to him for grace, but should you keep sinning? No, but even still, God is pursuing you in the midst, you're sinning and he's pursuing you, showing you grace and you say, oh my God, goodness, this is my God of grace. He's having mercy on me over and over and over again. When I was in college, I went through this period where I was struggling with sin, and I said, I'm not going to do this, I'm not going to do this, and every time I just kept failing and failing and failing. One, not a lot has changed. But two, that was a time when I was discovering how gracious God is, and I was meeting with God like I never had before, because I was being honest about my own failure... And I was tasting the sweetness of grace. Like water to the thirsty. God was unveiled through my failure in the offer of grace. See, here's our tendency. We have two traps that we fall into. First trap, we try to find God like this. We say, oh God, look how good I am being. Look at the things that I am doing, God. Let me see you because look at how hard I'm trying to be good over and over and over again. Look at what I'm doing, God. Just let me see you because And we're holding up a record and we're holding up a record and what we need to do is take our record, throw it on the ground and stomp on it so that we will finally say, this is Christ's record, Father. We say to God, God, this is Christ's record, not mine. I'm not holding up the things that I have done. I'm holding up Christ's record and we have to pick one. And as soon as we pick ours, It's like we're throwing Christ's record and all that he's done for us on the ground and stomping on it, and we're saying, love me, God, when all we've got to do is pick up Christ's record and he sees we are covered in his grace. We are covered in his record. So that's one thing that we do. That's the first trap. Second trap is we end up minimizing our sin. So, here's, what, here's how this goes. We look at the people around us, and we say, I'm not like that one. Like, the one right over here, God, like, God, look at me compared to this person. You're welcome, God. Like, look what I am like compared to this other person that's maybe sitting next to me. I don't know. So, but God, come on, like, you should love me. Look. Or what we do is we say, man, we blame others, and we say, oh, man, my life has been so hard. Like, ah. Oh. And here's, here's what all this sounds like. God, I'm not perfect, but you know I'm trying hard. And look, God doesn't want that. God does not want try-hards. He wants people to come to him and ask for mercy and grace. And when you do that, he unveils himself as the God of grace that's gonna shower you with love because just simply you've had faith that Christ has covered all of your sins. And that changes you. And that makes you more and more into who you're made to be. Because now you're operating out of grace. You're not trying to prove anything. You're just, God loves me. So now I'm gonna go and love the world around me. See, the problem is we don't really think God is that gracious. That's why we're holding up our record. That's why we're making excuses. It's just, it's really simple and so hard. We just say, God, it's, but it feels good. Like just finally say, yeah, I'm a sinner. It's not a big deal. Just say it. And then God unveils himself as this God of grace. He's pursuing. And here's what happens. So so you say, oh, God, I'm admitting this. I'm finding the God of grace. I have found him. And then like a year later, you say, you know what? (laughs) I feel like I was probably really running from God. And he was pursuing me and chasing me down. And he wrapped his arms around me. He tackled me to the ground. And he showed me his grace. And I was like, oh, my gosh, God of grace, I love you. Thank you for doing this to me. And our eyes are open to who he really is. And then here's something else you notice. So finally you discover the God of grace. Like you've been trying so hard all your life and finally you discover the God of grace and you discover something else after that too. You discover that you had a guide. There was somebody guiding you to the God of grace. We all need a guide. We all need one. So Peter had a guide. It's John John is the beloved disciple, and John functions as Peter's guide. Peter saw the man on the shore who was Jesus, but didn't recognize him as Jesus until John said to Peter, Peter, that is the Lord. And then after that, Peter jumps in the water with his skivvies on. You still don't get that word, do you? Okay, Paul, Peter, Peter jumps in the water with his skivvies on, swims to the shore to go and meet his Savior. Peter needed a guide, and it was John. Caused him to do something crazy, like jumping in that water. And then what we see later, later on in this chapter, is that Peter is then called to be a guide, and Peter is closely connected to the church. Okay, so here's what that means. Here's what that means. You have a guide, and it is the church. God has commissioned the church to be a guide to the world so that they might see God unveiled to them. And we talked about this actually two weeks ago. We talked about, here's what happened. Sunday morning, we saw, is the place where we can come and experience God, where Christians can grow in Christ and where skeptical people can come and discover Christ. That's the job of the church. And we saw, here's what we saw. Two weeks ago, Thomas, also known as Doubting Thomas, the great skeptic, the Bible, he missed the first Sunday gathering. And the second Sunday gathering, when he showed up, God was unveiled to him in Christ, and he finally met with the real God. He finally met the risen Christ. Despite everything he felt, the impossibility of Christianity being true, he saw it, and he believed. This, what we said is Sunday morning should be a non-negotiable. If you want to meet Christ, if you want to meet God, make Sunday morning a non-negotiable. And do you remember, what we, <laughs> you remember what we said the most common reason is like when in our area, when I talk to people and they find out I'm a pastor and they say, oh, you know, I don't really go to church, but I don't really think that the church is that important because I think I could just go and experience God like out on a boat. And it's always a boat. I don't know what it is. It's always a boat. That's what people always tell me. And listen, we know like, we know what's ha- happening on a boat. You're, taking, you're having a few drinks, and, and, but let's not pretend like you're having some profound experience of spiritual ecstasy out on the boat. But now look. But look at our verses today. The disciples are out on the boat, and they meet with Jesus, and they experience him. So was I wrong? Well, well let me tell you this. The disciples, I can admit when I'm wrong, the disciples would not miss a Sunday gathering, especially Thomas, because he knows what he missed the first time. Here's what we've got here. We've got the church gathered on Sunday morning and then scattered on Monday out wherever they're going, and the disciples are out in the boat. But here's what they're doing. They're out in the boat, and they want to meet with Jesus. They long for him. They long to see him again. It's here's what it is. This is the church scattered as a group of friends who are meeting throughout the week, just normal, everyday life, trying to figure out what to make of Jesus. And how to, if all of this is true, how do we reorient our lives around the reality that Jesus is God, come into the world, die for us, rise for us. I mean, what does that mean? And that's what the disciples are doing. This is about friendship. This is about the church as friends. The church on Sunday morning is a guide. But your friends in the church are a guide to you as well. We all need a guide to point us to the Christ who's on the shore that will make us do something crazy, like jump out of the boat with our skivvies on and swim all the way up to the shore to meet our savior. Look, you might be looking for happiness and peace and not finding it, and you just need a guide to help you see the God of grace so the veil might be removed and you can finally meet him. Many, many of us, we're always, this is our problem, we're always looking for happiness and peace in all the wrong places. And we need a guide to remind us, to point us to the God who's already pursuing us. So two weeks ago, Britt Whitaker shared her story of her grand discovery of Christ and her growth in Christ. And what What she had, what she talked about was a guide, a place where believers and skeptics, talking about the church, a place where believers and skeptics have authentic community and honest conversations about faith and doubt. And you can listen. By the way, if you weren't there for that, it's on the website. Go back and listen to it because you can listen and learn from her journey of discovering Christ and growing in Christ and you can let that also help guide you wherever you're at. Listen to this. The church, in one sense, it's only a guide, but in another sense, it is the guide to the greatest discovery that humanity has ever found: God. God has ordained the church with this task. Now, the church has failed miserably in the past at this, and the church is failing presently at this. At this, I. I I I understand that. Let God deal with that. What I'm talking about here is the church as God's people gathered together around his word and friendships throughout the week gathered around his word to try to figure out what to make of Jesus and how to meet with him more and more and more. So Yes, well, that's what all churches are called to, Joe. They Yeah. But many, many, I'm not going to talk about any churches, other churches. I'm just saying we're seeking to do this with all our heart. The whole purpose of why we are here is to know, so that the veil can be removed. So what I want to do is just encourage you to do what Britt did. She jumped into the church as the people of the church rallied around her. And she discovered who Christ was. Skeptics only Bible study and discipleship groups, and then she became a guide to others. It's look, we're all in this together, longing to meet with God. So if you're a Christian, I would encourage you to get into a discipleship group. These are the people who cause you to do crazy things like jump into the water and your skivvies on and go and meet with Christ. And if you're skeptical of Christianity, I would encourage you to get into the skeptics-only Bible study. This is the group of people that are wrestling, showing, here's my doubts. Here's why I just can't go all in with Christianity right now and talking about it. I'm there talking about it with all everybody that's there that are, is skeptical of Christianity, and we have an awesome time together. So get into one of those two groups if you're not already in one. Um, and I want to tell you something else that happens. This is, I'm talking to Christians right now. This happens all the time to Christians. New Christians feel alive. They feel like they're growing, and they're becoming more and more in who they're made to be. And then something happens to Christians as there's been a Christian longer and longer and longer. Something happens. You get stale. And moldy and bored and here's why it's this happens when we fail to engage in the mission that God has called us to every single one of us we have a purpose that God has called us to and when we fail to engage in that We get bored. The reason is because in mission, what it's saying, in your purpose in the world, what it's saying is that God is with you as you are engaging in what he's calling you to do. So when you're not engaged in what he's calling you to do, the veil is not being removed more and more and more so you're not seeing him more and more and more. So if you're a Christian and you've been one for a while and you find yourself bored, I know why. If you find yourself not growing, I know why. Or if you find yourself not experiencing God like you want to, I know why. It's likely because you aren't engaged in the mission that God has called you to. And this is a mission, to bring his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven and to bring others into that kingdom. It says in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus says to the disciples, come and follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And he also says, as you do this, as you seek to bring my kingdom and bring others into the kingdom, here's what he says, I will be with you always as you are doing this. So as we are engaged in what God has called us to do, the veil is removed more, and we see him more and more in new ways. Look, God is deep, and he's grand, and he's wonderful, and we have only tasted a little smidgen of who he is. I want you to realize when the disciples are fishing, they aren't catching any fish. Now, remember, think back in Matthew. I will make you fishers of men. So there's, there's something spiritual going on with the physical here that Jesus is pointing to. So watch. They're not catching any fish. And then he says, turn. Change what you're doing. In a sense, follow me, listen to me, obey me. And as soon as they do that, they catch all these fish and then their eyes are opened and Jesus is unveiled to them. They obeyed him in the mission he's called them to and then Jesus is unveiled. In mission, in your purpose in the world, when you engage in what God has called you to do, you meet with God more and more and more. When you see someone else seeking happiness and peace and struggling to find it and you point them to Christ, it's so rewarding when they find it all in him. You know what this this is? It means you get to be the guide. You are the guide. You are the church. You are Yoda to a Luke Skywalker. You are the matchmaker who has matched someone up with the greatest love that they could ever know. Someone was Yoda to you, and now you go and be Yoda to someone else. Someone has matched you up with the greatest love you will ever know. Now go and match someone else up with the greatest love that they will ever know. So the, the question, practically speaking, why is God unveiled to us as we engage in what he's called us to do like this, in bringing his kingdom and seeking to bring others into his kingdom? Why, why is God unveiled when we do this? Well, think about it. The person that God has called you to guide, God wants them. And in order for, him, for you to bring them to him, God has to draw you closer to him. And so as you are seeking to bring others to him, God works on you and he draws you to him and all at the same time, you are drawing others to him as well. It makes sense, right? When people go on mission trips, I know if all, if all of you know what mission trips are, but basically it's this week-long thing where you go to another country and you go and you try to bring God's kingdom and maybe you tell people about God's kingdom. So here's what, always, what we always hear. People go on mission trips to another country and they say, you know, I think I got more out of this than the people that I was serving. Do you know why that is? Because you're engaged in the mission God has called you to. Now the biggest mistake that Christians make is they say, ah, That was for then, that was for that week or two, and now I'm gonna come back to my normal everyday life. Listen, the kingdom of God is here and now. And we are called to be partnering with God to bring his kingdom and bring others into it. Now, where we live, where we work, where we play. Because we love people, because we believe it's true. If you're a Christian, so what I want you to do right now, I just want you to think of somebody in your life that you think God might have called you to be a guide to. Just picture them. Now, I want you to imagine yourself on your knees praying for them because you love them. Just picture it. You're on your knees praying for them. You don't have to be on your knees. In your heart, you love them and you want them to find this happiness that you have found. And you're with them because they're your friends. And then in conversation, you invite them to church. Listen, this, is, this always gets like, guys, this is us being compelled by love. That we have found a love that everybody needs to know about. So you invite them here, and maybe they don't, maybe they're not like, ah, oh, eh they come, but you take them out to lunch and you say, so what'd you think? And they talk to you about their doubts. That's awesome. And then they stick around and maybe after six months, maybe after a year, they're finally like, hey, despite everything that I thought before, I, I, I believe this is true now. I can't believe it, but I actually believe that this is true because the veil has been removed and then you stand beside them as they are being baptized. All of this is just because you are being ruled by love. And some of you have experienced someone doing this with you and you are so thankful that they did, that they invested their time and the love that they have for you into you. Listen, we're all on the boat. Picture, just picture you're on the boat and Jesus has called you to jump into the waters to him. Why should you do it? Why should you take the jump? because here's why. On the cross, when he took his last gulp for air, and he breathed his last breath, do you know what happened? When he died, the curtain of the temple was torn. It says that in Matthew. Do you know what that means? In the Old Testament, there was a temple and in the deepest part of the temple, it's called the Holy of Holies, and there was a curtain covering it, and that was the place where God was most present. When Jesus dies, and the curtain of the temple is torn into, it means that all of us have access through Christ into the presence of God to know Him. And we, as His flesh is torn, the curtain is torn, and we walk in and it's as if now we are clothed with his perfection. It's blanketed over us and we walk in. And do you know what that causes you to do? That causes you to die to yourself and live to God. And do you know what that means? You jump into the waters of death where you are dying to yourself because you're going after Christ. And here's what happens. Because he has already passed through the waters of death, you jump in, he reaches down, lifts you up out of death so that you might have him in the happiness and peace that he offers you. Not just now, but forever. Right now, we're in the waters and we're being pulled out and there's suffering that we're walking through and there's pain that we're walking through but we're being pulled out. And right now, it's as if happiness is fighting its way through everything that we're going through but there's gonna come a day when the fight is over and all we do is walk on the shores of happiness and peace and rest and satisfaction because our God has pulled us up out of the waters of death and brought us home. And today today we're taking communion together. And this is one of the best ways for us to say. I'm jumping in the water. I'm going all in. And here's why. Because the bread and the cup. Here's what's happening in communion. Communion, we talked about the story. Rudy was talking about the story, the story of God. When we are swept up into the Christian story, like we find who we really are. So here's what that means. There's a story happening around all of us. And we've got our own story. And when we get swept up into this Christian story, we find our true self, who we really are. Now, here's what I want you to hear with communion. When you take communion, you are participating in that story. You're not sitting back watching the story. It's you are in the story of God. And when you eat, you're being reminded, Christ is. His flesh was torn so that the curtain of the temple could be torn and I could walk in. And his blood was shed so I could have access to God. That's what communion is about. It's a declaration that I believe that this is true and I'm jumping into the waters to go swim for the shores where my rescuer is. So here's what we're gonna do for communion. If you, if you haven't been here for communion before, here's what we do. We have two tables in the back, one there and one there. And here's what you do. We're gonna have two songs playing after this. You have two songs. Whenever you're ready, you just go stand up in the back and you grab the bread and you dip it in the cup. You have to dip it. Uh, there is wine and there is juice. So we're watching you. You don't take the whole glass of wine and drink it to yourself because you've got to share it. So we're just dipping, okay? So here's how it went down. The night that Jesus was arrested, he's with his disciples. Before he's risen, he's with them. Before he's arrested, and he took the bread, and he broke it, and he said, this is my body, broken for you. Whenever you eat, of this bread you remember that my body was torn so that you can walk in to have this grand relationship with the cosmically glorious God and then he took the cup and he poured it out and he said this is the cup of all the promises that I have made that my father has made to you that we would come and rescue you and bring you home this promise is true in Christ. Let me pray. God, we pray now that as we take part in receiving this, that it would compel us to believe in you and believe more. That we would turn away from whatever has our attention, whatever the pleasure that we are seeking that is far lesser than you. And God, we would turn our attention to you so that we might find everything that we want and hope and desire in you. And God, as we ask for these things, as we ask for you, God, we want your glory, we want your kingdom in our hearts, in the hearts of those around us. We trust you. We give our life for you. But yet, we ask you, God, that you would provide for us. God, you know what's going on in the hearts of your people who are here with you right now. God, in faith, we we believe you are with us. You know what's going on. So, God, we pray for Joe, that you would heal him cancer. God, we pray for David Munyon and the loss of hearing that he's experiencing. God, that we pray that you would heal him. God, we pray for my son Cruz, that you would heal him. And God, we pray that you would forgive us. We know, we just heard this, God. You have promised us that if we come to you and ask for your grace, that you will shower us with it. And so we're asking, God, let us receive that grace and let us be moved by it. God, let us stop thinking of you as an idea or a concept and let us meet you as our God. And anything that is keeping us from you, God, I pray that you would move it away so that the veil might be removed and we might see you as you are. We pray all this in Jesus' name.